Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. I want to hear some good news. Some more? Yeah. (laughs) This is just good news capital. Good news capital at Noonan. I know Kopi's watching on camera, so he would have been encouraged by that testimony. Um, I want to talk a little bit about renewing the mind. You know, we talk about that a lot in here. And one of my main goals as a pastor is to cause you to repent. But who knows what repent means? Change your mind. Now, part of the definition of repent does mean turn from sin. That is part of an aspect of repentance, but when it relates to sin. But how many of you know there's lots of things going on in your thought life that aren't necessarily sinful actions that need to change? Repentance has more to do with changing the way that you think than it is changing your actions. And in fact, changing the way that you think is the way to change your actions. It just is. Call it psychobabble. Call it greasy grace. I really don't care what they call it. It's the truth. There is no promise of transformation apart from biblical meditation or renewing the mind. How many of you have tried to change in your best efforts. And how's it working for you? But how many of you have begun to believe the truth and connect with God's love for you, and then you turn around and it's like, oh, I just I don't really want that anymore. Just kind of change my attitude about that, you know? You're at it, you just find your attitude changes. Well, it starts with this, and this is what God was showing me during worship here. And I want, to, I want to tack this on to the beginning of this message, and that is we must understand righteousness. I mean, it, it, it's just vital. It's key. If you don't understand righteousness, then you may as well just keep drinking the milk because <clears throat> you're not going to grow up. You're not going to maturely connect to the power that God has that resides within you and consistently walk in grace if you don't understand righteousness. And by understanding righteousness, it causes you to truly be humble, and that is lay down your opinion, opinion of yourself, get rid of all your excuses because of your failures and all the reasons of why you have to be in the position that you're in. Let go of all of that and begin to really see yourself the way God sees you. That is perfect and holy and righteous before him in his love because of what Jesus has done for you. It's one of the most mature things that you could possibly do is believe the cross. Believe what the cross accomplished. And here is righteousness. We have the old covenant example within the temple. You would bring your lamb to the temple. This was a once a year sin offering thing for atonement. And an atonement was to cover over your sin and under the anointing of the priest remove your sin from you metaphorically 
figuratively onto this lamb for that year. So you would bring this lamb and you'd bring it to the priest and offer it to the priest. And he would examine the lamb. He would look at it. He would look at your sacrifice, you know, whatever it is that you brought. And he would inspect it. And he would say, okay, this, it's spotless. It's worthy of sacrifice. So then they would go through this ritual under his anointing, the priest of the covenant, would go through this ritual of you laying your hands on the lamb and the priest committing the sacrifice right there and you looking at that lamb thinking, that should have been me. My sins have been atoned for now. They have been transferred to this lamb temporarily. It was a signif- It was a foreshadowing of Jesus, the lamb. So, of course, then the priest would take and he would finish the sacrifice. He would ultimately, it would end up as a sweet-smelling savor in the very presence of God, as a, as a memorial to your sins being covered in front of the mercy seat in the presence of God. That's how you have to view righteousness. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, not because he was God in the flesh, but he was a man and he lived perfectly under the law, sinless, to present himself as your eternal sacrifice. Your righteousness has nothing to do with your performance has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do, but it has everything to do with the quality of the lamb. Now, how good of a sacrifice do you think Jesus is? Perfect. So perfect, it's unto eternity. There is eternal righteousness available when when that is your sacrifice, when you go to God and that's your righteousness. Do you see that? Now, here's an interesting point about righteousness. Jesus became sin, right? After sin was transferred to him on the cross for the entire world and judged in his body physically on that cross, having become sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, he passes into that grave with that sin in him, on him. He became sin to the deepest depths of who he is. So Jesus, even Jesus didn't earn righteousness based on his performance because it says that no flesh should be justified by the works of the law, even Jesus. So the reason that's important is because we're told Jesus is your example, so live as holy as he lived. Well, okay, that's wise and that's a good idea. But not even Jesus in his performance earned eternal righteousness. No flesh can do that. Not one single work of the flesh can produce a spiritual truth. It's by faith. Even for Jesus, eternal righteousness was gained by faith when he was in Hades, cut off from God. Now, a lot of people are messing with that theology and don't like that idea but you got to take out a big part of the Bible to get around the fact that Jesus was cut off, died full of sin, 
Now, there may be some details in that that's like, well, you know, but that's the point. That's the gospel. So he believed God unto eternal righteousness, took his blood back into that heavenly holy of holies, and said, This is eternal redemption. This is not just a covering of sin, this is a wiping away any aroma, any remembrance, any aspect of sin from the entire world. For that those who would believe are made righteous. Those who believe, those who come to God and offer that blood of Christ, not your tithe, not your praise, not your performance, but nothing but the blood is your righteousness. Not, you can't even find a hint of performance or obedience in the definition of righteousness. Righteousness simply means as it ought to be. Now, if you, if you understand that, you, you have to understand that to move forward in God, to move forward in, in really consistently being empowered by God's grace, experiencing His blessings, walking in the promises, walking in the Spirit. You know, I'm telling you, you're fortunate to hear that. <laughs> I mean, how many of you have been in church for a long time and never really quite heard it that way? Everybody else is just tired of raising their hand. We've had too many raising their hands. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's the simplest truth, but it's the most profound truth that you could ever spend time trying to understand and learn and make a part of your identity. Because it touches and it changes everything. So then from there, if that's true, and it is, then you're not trying to grow spiritually. You're not trying to grow into something that God wants you to be. You know, in fact, you are right now everything God ever wants you to be in your spirit. And and he's calling you to do things in this earth, but those are not to produce spiritual truths. Those are not to elevate your spiritual maturity. It's like a singular thing. It, it, it either You either are or you are not. There's no levels of righteousness. There's no levels of spirituality. There's no levels of holiness. You either are or you are not. And the only way you are is Jesus. Are we pregnant? Are we pregnant? Yeah, right, exactly. It's either in there or it ain't. Ain't is one of those theological words. So I got a bunch of statements here. Now I'm going to give this directly to you like I got it from God. So you can take it up with him. No amount of physical effort can produce spiritual transformation. See, we're working from the premise that that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word transformed is the word metamorphosis. It's, it's not that you change from one thing to another through effort or you do an external thing to produce a different result. It's something that's inside grows outwardly. Transformation is a growth from the inside out. So because righteousness is already in there, the way that it grows 
is when you yield to it in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, and then it affects your life. You do grow in righteousness, not in your spirit, but in the rest of your life. And, and it really is an important distinction to know that. I need to yield to righteousness so that it will produce fruit in my life. I cannot produce spiritual fruit in my life through external performance. It just does not work that way. I mean, you understand that, right? It's, it's got to be a fruit. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he likens it to a seed and he likens it to leaven. Those are both things that are inside something that are worked. You know, leaven works into it and it takes over the whole thing. A seed is there. It has everything within it, but it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And and he picks a seed that's the smallest seed but becomes the biggest vegetable, biggest plant out of that size seed that there's refuge in that. The kingdom is in you to grow out of you. The kingdom is not a thing that you have to figure out how to get into. Okay? All right. Notes time. I'll read you some stuff. So, the way that the kingdom works, the way that experience, experiencing spiritual truth, the way to experience financial provision is not sowing the right amount of seed, money, into the offering plate so that God is obligated to give you a spiritual blessing. What you do with money is you open your heart. You put that money in, it's opening your heart. It's a step to trust God. It's because you have purpose for a place like this. You want the lights to stay on. You want us to be able to buy more chairs. You know, all that stuff. This is the practical stuff. It's not about, okay, well, I've got to do this or else God is not going to rebuke the devourer off my life. It's by grace. It's by grace through faith. Hang with me here. So, it's by grace, and I'm going to post this on the website. Um, I've got a section at forwardministries.org. Right there on the top says, Renew Your Mind. There are resources there. Use them. Let me ask you this. How many of you have gone to the website and... Okay. Is, did, did it help? Faith. So it's by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith, right? The word saved means healed, made whole, delivered, restored, rescued. Everything that we need from God is wrapped up in salvation... And it's by grace through faith. So faith accesses grace. And how does faith work? Come on, you Bible student, Bible school student. Faith works by love. That's where it starts, knowing that God loves you. That's what you have to know about righteousness is Jesus has given me, given me this eternal spiritual condition because he loves me. Because he loves me. And because he loves me, I'm going to choose to respond to him. So faith is a response to what Jesus has done. You know, faith is not what you do to get God to respond. Jesus has completed salvation. Faith is a response to what Jesus has done. So do you know what Jesus has done? 
you know, if you're confused about any aspect of righteousness, if you think your sin separates you from God, you need to learn about righteousness. You know, if you think God changes his mind about you based on your week-to-week performance, you, you need to learn about righteousness. Sit and meditate. Go back and read those Old Testament, you know, depictions or, or uh, descriptions of how the sacrifice is presented, specifically the sin offering, and see yourself in that. See Jesus as that lamb. So, you can't establish a spiritual truth with physical effort. In fact, any attempt to earn or qualify through physical effort nullifies grace. This is Galatians 2, 21. Any attempt to earn or qualify through physical effort nullifies grace. It doesn't mean that God says, oh, you're trying, so I'm going to withhold it. It's just that you aren't accessing it by grace through faith. Therefore, it's not going to work in your life. Grace, I'm t- this is the last stand here. That you, either, you either learn how to walk in grace or you spin your wheels for the rest of your life. There's no, I'm telling you, once you hear this message, you know, you can't go back. You can't go back to the trying to figure out how to get the right anointing. What's the right tithe I'm supposed to give? What's the magic incantation for me to say today? to get God to show up and do something in my life. You can't go back to that. I've seen people leave the church because they can't get grace working in their life. And that, you know, it's all about relationship. I mean, who can tell you how to have a relationship other than you investing your heart into this relationship with God? So it's like, and that's what Paul was talking about in Hebrews when, it, when people apply these, this mindset of he's talking about losing your salvation. You know, there is no more sacrifice for sin. He was talking to a bunch of guys who the temple was down the road. They could have gone down there and offered their sacrifices. And in fact, some of them were doing that, right? I mean, you realize when Jesus showed up, they still did sacrifices for another 40 years. The temple was still there until 70 A.D. So they had the temptation... To when they, when they fell, you know, for us, our temple is church. Oh, God, I really messed up. I better go and I better go to church. I better go worship a little bit and show God that I'm sincere. I better go give the right amount of offering. I better go uh, whatever it is we think we've got to do to get back in God's good graces. That's our temple. We put ourselves back under the law. Man, I'm telling you, get this. So, grace doesn't work through effort. It works through faith. And faith is a response to what Jesus has done. In fact, falling from grace, right? You've heard that term, falling from grace. And you've heard it applied to sin. Well, falling from grace is not that you do a sinful act. Falling from grace is when you leave that place of trusting God to trusting yourself which is the difference between being in the flesh and not being in the flesh. I'm going to read Romans 8 here to make it clear that you're always in the spirit, but you're not always in the flesh. We fall from grace when we try to accomplish a spiritual truth in our own efforts. And it's the most, I know, I get it. It's one of the most frustrating things to realize it's done, but how do I get it? It's there, he's done it, you know, and try to connect. It's because 
we have these carnal minds still that have not been renewed to spiritual truth. Renewing the mind is the key to transformation. They even put it in the Bible. I'm preaching at you too hard to make you laugh, I know. I want, I'm to, I want you to get this. I am tired, not, not disappointment, but it's like, oh man, I want people to really truly live above what they're experiencing. I don't want you to roll around and question why your life is the way that it is when there's a way out. The key is renewing your mind. And it's not just mind over matter. It's because once you renew your mind and you believe the truth and your heart is convinced of God's love for you, it will manifest into your life. It grows into your life. It changes your attitudes. It changes what you think is possible. And that's where we live from. It, it changes our choices. If you don't renew your mind, you're no better off than someone who doesn't have Jesus. I mean, think about it. Grace is the factor of which you experience salvation, right? I mean, you're spiritually righteous. You're going to be in heaven with God forever. But in this life, if you do not walk in grace, you're no better off than someone that has not been born again. In fact, it can be more frustrating for you because you got the Holy Spirit in you going, no. You don't have to do that. You're righteous. Jesus has provided a better life for you. There's abundant life. You have all these scriptures rolling around. And when we've desensitized our heart to the Holy Spirit, it can be incredibly frustrating to know the truth and not see it in your life. And the key to seeing it in your life is renewing the mind. Change the way you think. Repent. And it's not... Throw yourself down on the ground and grovel and show God how sorry you are for what you've done so that he says, oh, now they've got it. Now I can be good to them. No. Effort. See, I'm not, I'm not talking about not applying. Let me, let, me, let me back up. So falling from grace is, is not when you sin per se, it's when you start trying to experience spiritual truth in your own strength. So what we're talking about is the flesh. The flesh that you see in Romans talked about is not this dirty, evil aspect of yourself. You know, it's, it's Gnostic to think that the flesh, the body, anything physical is evil and everything that's good is light and invisible as if there's duality or this polarity that this is bad, this is good. The flesh in and of itself is not evil. It's just that the flesh is an attitude or a mindset that seeks to establish spiritual truth on its own. I got a statement for that too. The flesh is a mindset that trusts in self to establish a spiritual truth rather than God. So the flesh trusts in effort rather than grace through faith, which starts with love. You get that? Yeah. The flesh is a mindset that trusts in self 
to establish a spiritual truth rather than God. And again, I'm going to post all this stuff on the website under forwardministries.org. Renew your mind. <laughs> I want you to use that, not so I'll get hits to my website, because I know it'll change your life. I'm telling you, I've applied this stuff. I've seen it work. And it's not that effort is a bad thing, okay? Effort is not wrong. It's just that why are you putting forth effort? What do you think the effort is going to get you? Do you put forth effort to put your heart in a position to believe the truth so that righteousness can bear fruit in your life? Or are you putting forth effort and trusting in that effort to be the qualification? You see the difference? So it's not that you don't put forth effort. See, there's some grace people that have slipped into a grace comb and it's like, hey, it's all done. I don't have to do anything. Well, that's true spiritually, but come back and talk to me in 10, 15 years from now. Let's see where you are in your life. Hmm? You've got to have the word for everything to work with. Yeah. If you don't know it, how can you believe any of it? Right. And I had this guy, I posted a thing on Facebook. To youth pastors, asking if youth pastors allow digital Bibles in their youth groups. Youth pastors. I, I even pre-qual. I put youth, youth pastors. Well, not one youth pastor replied. And everybody else gave their opinions, and it's like, oh God, I had to really exercise self-control. I have to do that a lot on Facebook. I have to pray for the Spirit to help me. Not get in the flesh. <laughs> uh, one of the guys, this is what, that was my point. One of the guys said, why are you talking? I don't, I don't even remember what he said. Basically, throw out the Bible. Are they really coming there to do Bible study? Uh, just have a big Holy Ghost party. And it's like, really? Really? You know, Bruce Lee. Kung Fu master Bruce Lee, right? Bruce Lee was one of the world's finest, most accomplished martial artists. World-renowned. World I mean, probably still to this day the most famous martial artist ever, right? Because he was good. And you look at his background and his training, and he went through extensive training. I mean, with like these backwoods guys that sit and meditate and do kung fu all day long. And, and, and would drill you. You know, you've seen those old movies where they're kicking, the, they're kicking the wooden things and they're doing all those drills and the fundamentals and putting in the work to, to condition their bodies, can, to train their memory, you know, their motor, what do you call it? Muscle memory. Muscle memory something like that. <laughs> years and 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 years put into that stuff. So then he comes to America and, try, and tries to put a lot of those things into practice. And, and, man, they tried to kill him. Some of those Japanese or whatever nationality they were, they didn't want him teaching those kinds of secrets. So they tried to kill him. So he modified his training program. And he cut out a lot of the what he called repetitive movements. A lot of the fat, he kind of referred to it as, he trimmed out a lot of the fundamental repetitive training and just tried to teach a modified form and never produced one person that could duplicate his level of skill. 
is because he took out all of the work that he had put into and, and, and couldn't, you know, people didn't follow that same model and didn't get the same results. You know, the point being, you can't throw away knowing the Word. You can't throw away the time put in in the meditation and, and mem- memorizing the verses and, you know, whatever it is that we do that some grace people now are calling law. It's not law to invest in yourself. As long as you're not trusting in that investment as your righteousness or qualification. I mean, don't you want to condition your heart to believe the truth? Don't you want to put forth whatever effort it would take to get yourself to a place where you're connecting with God and experiencing His grace? You say yes, but you don't. (laughs) Let me ask you this. Just this last month, think about how many hours you watch TV versus how many hours you spent investing in your heart to believe the truth. Now, let me read Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? No condemnation. Seriously. But I want you to think. What are you doing with your time? How serious are you about connecting with God and experiencing God and seeing your life changed? If you're not putting the time in to renew your mind, you're fooling yourself. Now, it doesn't have to be labor-intensive where it's like, you know, where it's not fun and it's not joyful, but it's a discipline. And this is what Peter and Titus and those guys talk about. He's like, look, discipline yourself to live godly. The discipline is do whatever it takes to invest in yourself to believe the truth. Because your heart needs to be conditioned into the, to the place where it believes God. Now, here's the thing. Belief and connecting to the truth and walking in grace and experiencing an outward spiritual manifestation and a miracle can happen instantly. It doesn't take the investment to connect instantly. But how often does that happen? I mean, how often do you just kind of slip into, oh, wow, there's a miracle that happened. No, it's by that living, that day-to-day, yielded to God, understanding who he is, experiencing his love for you, and lining up your heart to believe the truth. It's the Mark 4 principle. It's the way the kingdom works. It's the secret of the kingdom that whatever it is you believe about God in your heart is going to limit the degree of God you experience in your life. Let me read just all of Romans 8 here. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus... Now, I want to make a point here. You see this here? There's therefore, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the, 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 chapter, the verse markers are not there, but verse 2 in the NIV begins where it says because. 
If you have King James or some other translation, it says, what does it say there after, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's not in the original language. That was some fancy translation term taken from, I think, verse 4 and put back up, at, tagged on at the end of verse 1 because they thought it fit there. You know, they're not, I'm not saying the Bible is fallible. It's just that the translations miss some things. It should read, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That who walk in the flesh and not after the Spirit makes it conditional. And it's not in the original language. So let's keep reading here. Because, all right, so here's where we get, right? This is where we go to. In our minds, we're thinking, all right, so am I walking in the flesh or am I walking in the Spirit? How do I walk in the Spirit? What does the Spirit look like? What do I need to do to walk in the Spirit? And when you think about that, it's a contradiction. It's an impossibility to do something to walk in the Spirit. Okay? Let's keep reading. Because through Christ Jesus, the law... And there's so many sermons out of this that are amazing, but I've got one point here, and then we're going to wrap up. And I'm going to probably re-preach this message again week after next because I've got a lot more here that I'm not getting to. But verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... See, the law has one weakness, and that's you. You were never expected to be able to keep the law. It was only given to show you you couldn't keep it and that you need Jesus. I mean, it's like these guys that think that you've got to balance grace with the law, have they not read that the law cannot produce righteousness? And somehow that's like a bad thing. All right. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That's what we talked about. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right. So this question is still hanging out there. How do I live according to the spirit? Those who live according to the flesh. Now, Pay attention. The context is still spirit flesh, all right? How do we walk in the flesh? How do we walk in the spirit? He's going to start talking about the way you think. Those who live according to the flesh, their minds have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in abundance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. What's your mind set on? Is it on what the Spirit desires? Because Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. Is your mind on the flesh? What do you need to do? What did I do to mess it up? Or is it on the thoughts of Jesus, the thoughts of God, how God sees things? You have the mind of Christ. So, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. 
You notice he's not talking about actions here. He's talking about the mind. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Oh my God, I got to please God. I got to stay out of the flesh. Well, it's a, it's a thought process. It's a way of thinking. The flesh is a way of thinking. Self-effort. So you, say me. Me. me, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. How do you walk in the Spirit? How do you know that you're in the Spirit? Spirit of God lives in you. Pretty simple, right? Now, what action can you do to make that a reality? What needs to happen to experience that reality? Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. You, me, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Does the Spirit of God live in you? Is there anybody in here that does not know whether or not the Spirit of God lives in you? Let's be honest. We're all family here. I can make everybody close their eyes if you feel safe for raising your hand. Is there anybody in here that doesn't know? Do you know? We'll take care of that. All right. So, Spirit of God lives in you. That's the definition of you being in the Spirit. You cannot perform your way into the spirit realm. You cannot dance. You cannot wave enough flags. You cannot give enough money. You cannot pray in tongues enough. You cannot have a mystical enough vision to be more in the spirit than you are now. Because the spirit of God's in you. That's the qualification. That's the Bible. I wish... <clears throat> I wish people would read the Bible. God's bigger. God's bigger than his book. Okay. I hear you. But he doesn't contradict his book. He doesn't send you on a wild goose chase to figure out how to be spiritual. I can tell what churches you've been in by the degree of how much your head is nodding. <laughs> okay? All right. Here we go. Huh? <laughs> this... Yeah, yeah. Now, I just want you to know, this will progress into talking about the gifts of the Spirit, offices of administration, anointings. I'm going to talk about all that stuff. I, you know, I hadn't really taken the time to teach on it. I'm going to... Over the next month, we will specifically talk about what is the anointing? Are there different anointings? How do you get anointed? All that stuff. Does anybody want to hear that? Do you have questions about that kind of stuff? Okay, we're going to go there. Not today, but keep coming back. My name is Clint. I'm going to keep coming back. It works if you work it. Don't give up. I don't know. All right. Oh, man, I want you to be challenged, but I also want you to be liberated. 
I want you to walk out of here feeling like it's really simpler than I thought, but I want to take this seriously. I, I want to experience God. I want to see God in my life. And the Bible says that I have to renew my mind. And that does not mean that you then qualify. It just means you've put your heart in the right soil. Right, let me finish this and then we'll wrap up. You guys want to come on back up, the worship team. So I'm going to start here. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Now think about that. The mind governed by the flesh, when you start thinking about what do you have to do to experience God, don't you start feeling this kind of struggle? That's the hostility. It's not like, God, you are... Although sometimes we do that, don't we? We point our finger at God. God, why did you do that? Why did you let that happen? Well, you're thinking according to the flesh. You're not thinking according to the Spirit. You're not thinking according to righteousness. If you find yourself feeling like there's a separation between the condition of your life... And where God is, you're carnally minded. You have to renew your mind, spiritual mindedness, and trust the process. Okay? So, <clears throat> those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. I mean, don't you, hadn't you heard too many sermons about this is what you have to do to please God? Amen. Well, the doing is being in the flesh. It's like, I, man, I'm telling you, the church has a bad case of spiritual dyslexia. It's got it backwards. It's putting the sequence in the wrong order. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh and in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Uh-oh. That's a little problem for the ultimate reconciliationists that say everybody's already saved, they just don't know it yet. If you don't have Christ in you, you do not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Obligation. Uh-oh. This is what I got to do. But it's not to the flesh. I mean, it's so clear, right? It's so clear. The obligation is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, that's just a kind of a different way of saying repent, uh, repent from dead works. Dead works are those things that you try to do to earn or qualify or get something from God. Right Now, we're going to pass these baskets, but don't think for one second that it's going to make God want to bless you more. You know why he wants to bless you? Because he lives in you, and he loves you, and you're his child, and you belong to Christ. But do you want to expand your heart? Do you want to take an act? You know, see, faith is not an act to get. Faith is an act of response that invites involvement. It's like, you know, it's like if you shoot a gun or whatever and you've got a sight on this end and a sight on that end, you line those two things up. To me, that's something that, like, that's what faith is. Faith is you sow that seed 
And it's one more thing to help you line it up to where God can flow out of you. Putting your heart in the right position to trust God to experience the spiritual life that's in you. Amen? Amen. Well, to be continued. Father, we thank you for your spirit. Jesus, we thank you for making us righteous. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for laying your life down, for living that perfect, sinless life, to be qualified to take my sin so that you could then give me your righteousness. I don't take that lightly. Thank you that because I am righteous, that I can experience all of those spiritual blessings that are in me because you're in me. That I'm a joint heir with you, that everything you inherited, I have. Because you've shared your life, you've shared your righteousness, you've shared your eternal redemption. Everything that you are and that you have, even your authority, even the victory, even in that spiritual realm which affects this realm, the lordship, the kingship, the authority that Jesus walks in, that everything else is under his feet, sickness, lack, disease, depression, bad attitudes, whatever it is, all of that is under the feet of Jesus. He is victorious in everything. And he has shared that victory with me. So, you don't have to try to figure out how to rise above it. You just need to realize Jesus has risen above it and I'm in him. So whatever problem you're facing, ask yourself, is this a problem for Jesus? Thank you, Father. You guys can go ahead.